I'll read that again, and maybe it's instructive a little bit as to how this is structured. Literally, it says, you establish a, a purpose firmly. Talking about God. Peace, peace. For in you, talking about God again, is His trust. And so when the Bible uses a, a repeat of a word, uh, it's to emphasize it. Uh, in other words, in the original language, and you find this quite often uh, in the translation of the Hebrew, uh, you'll see, uh, or even when Jesus was speaking in the New Testament, you'll see words repeated. Like in the New Testament, Jesus will say something like, Verily, verily, I say unto you. At least he did in the King James. I don't know. I think he says in the NIV, he says, Truly, truly, I say unto you. Well, the, when a word is repeated like that, the idea behind that is that it, it turns up the volume on the word. In other words, very truly is what that means. And so when this speaks of peace, it speaks of lots of peace. It turns up the volume on peace. Like if there was a volume knob and it went up to 11, that would be peace, peace. All right, not just loud peace, but the loudest of peace. In other words, the idea behind that is that no adjectives can add to the fullness of the meaning of how this word is used when it's repeated like that. Like you couldn't say very peace, peace, or anything like that. It's just it's what it is. And so it is the 11, the volume 11 of peace, the ultimate, the, the penultimate, the... The pinnacle, the maximum, there can be none more peaceful than this peace. So that's the idea of what's being said here. Is It's perfect, and what the Bible says, perfect peace, or complete, utter peace. It's expressed as an, iter uh, an iteration like that, and that's the way it's expressed in the language. And so we need to understand it that way that nothing more can be added to it. It is what it is. And and so we live in a world and we're around people that are really looking for peace. And we've been given access to an opportunity to dwell in ultimate peace, the loudest of peace that there could possibly be. And, and that's what we've been given opportunity to live in. That's what we've been opportunity to to have access to. And so when the world cries out for peace, we do have an answer to that. We have an answer for that. And it, the real question isn't whether that peace is available, because that peace is available. The real question isn't whether or not we can access it. Well, we can access it. But the rest of the verse talks about how we actually come into that kind of peace and ultimately how we live in it and how we see that kind of peace manifest in our life and through our life. And that's kind of where we're at, is that in a, in a world crying out for peace, in a world crying out for relief, we've been given access to that kind of peace, but the real question is, are we going to live in it, number one? Are we going to find that peace for us and then number two, are we going to be in a position where as we're living it out and we're living in that kind of peace, that that's something that we can offer to the people that are around us? And, and I really believe that both those things can be true for us. I believe not only can we access that kind of peace, not only can we experience that kind of peace for ourselves, 
but we can also have access to it in the sense that we can also minister that not only as an example, but in a real way into people's lives so that they can experience it too. The other, uh, it was a couple Sundays ago, not this Sunday, but the Sunday before, I was talking to somebody after the service. And as I was talking to this person after the service, we were uh, just discussing uh, something about Jesus. And it was something that I would consider to be just really super basic to the gospel. You know, super basic to a, a rudimentary understanding of who Jesus is. Well, the person I was talking to was completely and utterly confused about something that he had heard, something that he had read, something he had been told as a child. I have no idea where he had heard it, but was completely confused because he couldn't reconcile Jesus loving us and this other thing that he had been told. And and the bottom line to it, and in the end result of it was, is I said, well, I, I don't believe that what you were told is correct. And here's what I believe. Here's what I've experienced. Here's what I know. And I just shared that with him. And it took about two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes to share what I've experienced, to share what I've seen, to share what I know. Something that I consider to be so basic to my relationship with Jesus, it was like the easiest answer ever to give to somebody. And I almost felt badly afterwards because... I said to the guy, I was like, is, is that all right? Do you understand what I'm saying? He's like, you've just answered a question I've had my entire life in like two and a half minutes. And it wasn't so much that it was a deep response or anything. It wasn't like, you know, I needed to know seven Bible languages and, and, and four geographic regions or anything. It was nothing. It was, it was what, I've, what I live, what I've known, all that I've known. And, and that's, that, that's the best kind of stuff to share. So you want to talk to somebody about peace, well, you want to talk about something that you live in, something that you know. And when I say that, I don't want you to think, well, I'm going to be at peace, you know, 24-7. And, uh, and uh, life doesn't really work that way. I'm talking about a general way that we live. Not that every second of every day we're at perfect peace. That, I would assume, would be impossible because that doesn't leave any room to get irritated when you drive or anything. I mean, so, or at your favorite sports team or whatever it is you get irritated at, it would leave no room for that or, or the, the human condition, all right, that we are and we're human beings and we have emotions and things irritate us and things distract us and things happen like that. So I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I'm not talking about like some 24-7 thing like you see in a movie where, you know, like you see these guys walking around and they never do anything fun and they're just all quiet all the time, nodding their heads in peace or whatever they're doing. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is really that attitude, really that, that place of peace that God brings us to and, and that we find ourselves in, in Him. And, and the rest of this verse really talks about that but I wanted to say right off the bat that I'm not looking at this as being like, oh, we're going to live the perfect, peaceful life. That's not it. But there should be a certain dimension of peace in us. There should be a certain dimension of peace in our life just from the fact that Jesus is with us. 
just from the fact that we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, just from the fact that we have a connection to God that's real and that is physical and emotional and spiritual, and just by virtue of that connection, there should be a peace that's in us. There should be. And we may freak out in a minute, but hopefully in the next few minutes after that, we remember and we get a hold of the peace that indwells us. We may overreact in a second, but my hope is is that we, we return to that place of stasis, that homeostasis in our emotional and spiritual lives, maybe after we freak out, to find and center on that peace that's in us. I mean, nobody in the Bible was, that I know of, was uh, immune to flipping out every now and then. I mean, David flipped out. Okay, and he he was a man after God's own heart. You look at the prophets, and you got Elijah in the cave. He freaked out. You got uh, Elisha, what, call him bears from the woods? And a bunch of kids got eaten. I mean, that wasn't a freak out. That guy flipped out, all right? Uh, even, you know, and, and you can argue this, I guess, and I, I wouldn't even argue with you about it, but I look at Jesus overturning the tables in the temple, and I see him, you know, that kind of a reaction to something. And, and it's not saying he didn't have peace. It's not saying he didn't live in peace, because he did. But even something like that, I look at that, and it's like, that was a reaction. That was an expression. That was emotional. And and so, we're human. And we're going to have those times, we're going to have those expressions, we're going to have those moments in our life. But there needs to be some center line of peace that we draw from and that we find ourselves in. And so, this is described here in Isaiah 26 as perfect peace, peace, peace. It's peace, peace. There's no more. The eleven of peace, that's what's been given. And it's the mind that cleaves to God that God keeps. It's when we find ourselves cleaving to God and the, the mind that, as much as we can, keep our mind on God, holding on to God, seeking after God, dwelling on God, thinking about God, those types of, of moments in our life, it's the mind that cleaves to God that God keeps. You know, the peace of God. Somebody look at Philippians 4, 7. Philippians 4, 7. Alright, so in Philippians 4, the, Paul's writing and, and he talks about the peace of God. How does he describe the peace of God though? It, it's kind of interesting like how he describes it. You can't articulate it. Yeah, well you can't even understand it. Not totally. And, and that tells me something about that peace is that it's something beyond that which we can produce. It's something beyond that which we can make with our hands. It's something beyond that which we can even describe with our language. It's something beyond that which we can even come to, you know, any kind of true and complete, utter understanding of. 
And, uh, and to me, what Philippians 4.7 is describing is the kind of peace is described in Isaiah chapter 26. It's the peace peace. It's the ultimate peace. It's the, the, the peace beyond our understanding. It's the peace that is the eleven of all pieces that we can never produce on our own. We can never even find it on our own. We couldn't even describe that kind of peace. You know, and I, I'm using words and kind of describing it, but it's kind of silly, right, what I'm saying? You following what I mean? And so I'm making it silly in a sense because I want to emphasize the fact that this is the peace that God gives. This is the peace that God produces. This is the peace that we get from Him. This is the peace that only He can give, that we can't produce this somehow. You can meditate from now until the end of the month. You're not going to produce... Well, it's isn't that long. From now until the end of, say, you know, whatever, April. You're not going to produce that kind of peace. You can't. You know, somebody was talking to me today about Wim Hof breathing and how that's supposed to be very peaceful. I'm like, yeah, go ahead, Wim Hof it all you want, but you're still not going to produce this kind of peace. It's not going to happen. Because this peace is beyond us. This peace is supernatural. This peace is something that is divine. This peace comes from the Creator. And it's only the Creator that can make anything perfect. It's only the Creator that makes anything complete. It's only the Creator that can actually make anything in this kind of a nature, in this kind of a completeness in our lives. It's only Him. And so the peace that passes all understanding, and then it describes that peace, saying it sets a guard around our heart and a guard around our mind in Christ Jesus. Well, the peace of God, the peace, peace of God, that's what sets that guard around us. That's what keeps us and holds us. He talks about committing ourselves to the Lord. And we have to come to a conclusion at some point in our life, and hopefully sooner than later, that nobody can steady their life except by clinging to a hold beyond themselves. Nobody can steady their life except by clinging to a hold beyond themselves. What do I mean by that? Well, you could do an experiment. Alright? Go mount a handle onto your chest. Like a, just a handle. Just mount it right on there on your coat, however you want to do that. Go out in the middle of the wintertime, walk on some ice. Okay? Dance around on the ice, and when you begin to fall, grab that handle. Okay? You gonna hold yourself up? By grabbing that handle? No. Because it's attached to you. What are you in the process of doing? Falling. Alright, so if you grab hold of the handle and you're already falling, it's not going to keep you from falling. In fact, you're just going to fall. And so the reason I'm describing it that way is I want you to really get a hold of this in your head. And you've got to kind of come to this conclusion to understand what these verses are talking about. You cannot steady your own life by a handle that's on you. It's got to be on something else that's solid. Okay, that makes sense to everybody? Okay, the practical application of that is, is that when, when everything starts to go to crap in your life, all right, don't grab hold of a handle that's mounted on your chest or your head because it's just going to go to crap anyway. All right, and you'll have a firm grip on going to crash. 
You follow it. No, I'm, I'm serious. Because I watch people do this all the time. It's like, I'm falling, I'm falling, grab the handle. Boom! You fell anyway, right? Because you didn't grab a hold of something that's solid. There's something in us that's like, I'll do it myself. No, you won't. You'll fall yourself. I'll fall myself. We'll fall ourselves. That's what happens. When you lose your footing, you got to have something else to grab onto. And, and so that this kind of peace and this kind of idea is that we need to commit ourselves to the Lord. Why? Because we've got to have something steady to grab onto. He's steady. He's the rock. And so you, you, you got the handle on the rock. You start to fall down. You grab the handle. You can keep yourself up. All right? He's keeping you up, really. But you understand what I'm saying. That's how you steady yourself. That's how you bring yourself, how you keep your feet, that's how you keep yourself moving, is that you've got a handle on something that's a lot more solid than you are. It's steady. And so, this verse talks about we commit ourselves to the Lord. Why? Because He's steady. He's the one that's steady. He's the one that we can grab onto and we don't fall down. So, in a sense, this is talking about God taking a position in our life of governing our life because we commit ourselves to Him. We choose. Your choice. I mean, you can say, I'll do it myself. You can say that. But you don't have anything to hold on to. Or, or you can say, God, what's your will in this? What's your plan? What's your purpose? And we come on board with what God has for us. We come under His governance. When we come under His governance, we're committing ourselves to Him, to His way, to His purpose, and to His plan. That's where we find ourselves then. And there is the place where we can be steady. Somebody look at 1 Peter 2.23. 1 Peter 2.23 When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Alright, now who is that talking about? Take a guess. Right, Jesus. And and the idea behind this is, look at the situation he's in. Right? He was in a tumultuous situation. And this is a situation we're going to consider more closely. This is this week, okay? So Friday, we're going to gather at noon, and we're going to consider the situation that Jesus was in. And that was the situation he was in, that he was facing... All kinds of opposition. He was facing rudeness. He was facing people that were saying bad things about him. He was people making fun of him. People that were making fun of what he was doing, who he was, who the father was. All the rest of those kind of things. I mean, they were just making fun of him. And and he was just in the middle of all that. They made a crown. They wove a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and they pretended to bow down to him. And they made a robe and they put a robe around him and all the rest. They just mocked him. And so he was in 
that, that there was like a rough seas kind of position that he was in there. And, and so we have an insight. Peter gives us an insight as to, well, how did he put up with it? How did he get through that? Well, the end of that verse tells you how he got through that. He had entrusted his life. He had committed himself to his father. He had entrusted his life to his father. And so when those things happened and all that came up and all the things that were taking place, he had a knowledge of something they didn't have. And that was he was in the midst of the will of the Father. He was in the midst of the will of the one who had sent him. And Bible describes that he was able to endure that. He was able to walk through that. We know he was because he ended up at the cross. And he was even able to endure that. There's a power when we submit ourselves to our God. There's a power. Jesus knew that. Jesus lived that. Jesus gave an, an example of that. Because sometimes you need to have some kind of a, an external point of aim for your life. And by that, I mean you need something that you can look at that's bigger than you. Something that you can look at that's beyond yourself. Something that you can look at and, and it's something you didn't make up necessarily. But it's something God has set in front of you. And you say, I'm going to keep going toward that. Well, what about all these things going on over here? I'm not worried about that. I'm going toward that. What about these people over here? They're telling you you're crazy. I don't care about those people. I'm going toward that. And it's helpful sometimes to have that external point of aim for our life. That we're not just, you know, sometimes you know, when we're trying to figure out what's going on or we're going to do whatever we're going to do or we're trying to come up with something for our life, it's like pin the tail on the donkey. You get blindfolded, you get spun around, and you're like, all right, well, heading toward what I think is the wall with the tail in my hand. Everybody play this game or I'm way too old. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Birthday party, maybe? Okay, you get what I'm saying, right? All right, so, you know, you're heading toward, you think it's the wall. You might be going toward the wall. If somebody steadied you and, and, and kind of pushed you toward the wall, you might. But, I mean, really, is that the way? That's not the way. And that's not helpful, really. You're more confused than anything else. I mean, there's anxiety involved in that. I mean, yeah. So, so you're blindfolded, you're aimless, you don't know where you're going, you got a tail in your hand, you're going to poke it into something, whatever you run into. It's like, do you think it's going to be the tail? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's anxiety producing in and of itself. And so, it's helpful to have something you can actually look at and see and really head toward. That's good. That's good. When I do my long hikes, a lot of times if I can see off in the distance, I will put my eye on that thing that's off in the distance and just keep going because it's helpful. And even if my brain tells me that's a long way off, I'm going to get there because I'm going to keep walking until I get there and I'm going to get there. If I can see it, I can get there. Okay? And, and maybe I'm psycho, but that's how I see things. And that's how I'm going to do it. And so to have that external point of aim and look at it and say, all right, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to get there. Well, there's going to be opposition, okay, but we have, a, we have somewhere to get to. There's going to be people disagree, that's all right, we have somewhere to get to. There's going to be people that try to oppose us, that's okay. We have somewhere to get to, and it's helpful to have that spot to get to. 
Somebody look at uh, Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, 46. of Jesus. What were the last words of Jesus? I commit my spirit, I commit myself to my Father. Right before he died. With the sins of the world on him. Our sicknesses, our diseases. All that he carried to the cross with him. The last thing he said is, I commit myself to my Father. And so I want you to get a hold of this principle in the life of Jesus. Because he's our example. And if Jesus needed this, if Jesus had to do this, if Jesus, if this is part of his life and how he went about what God had called him to do, what the Father had called him to do and sent him to do, I want you to think about, do we need it? Sure. If Jesus needed it, we need it. If Jesus, it was important for Jesus to... To, to do the things that he had to do and do the things that he was called to do and to do the things that he was sent to do. Well, it's important for us too. We're in no, no way better than him. We're in no way stronger than him. We're in no way more spiritual than him. We're in no way closer to the Father than he was. And if it was important for him to do this, it was important for him to commit himself to the Father, commit himself to God, it's important for us. To have that aim, to have that vision, to have that call, to have that purpose, to commit our lives to our Father. The next words that are given in this verse is, so we submit ourselves to the Lord. Because I mean, what we're talking about, we're talking about peace, peace, right? Ultimate peace. And so we commit ourselves to the Lord just like Jesus did. And there's peace in that. And so that, that's the first part of it, is, is that commitment. It's the first part of having that, that aim, having that, that, that vision, having that purpose, committing our lives, allowing the governance of the Father over us, just like Jesus did. Next thing we talk about is, is the idea of faithfulness. And when the Bible here talks about faithfulness, talking about a steadfast mind. In other words, it's a mind that is settled and set. What I mean by that? Well, I mean it, we're not blown around by the winds of circumstance. And circumstances come and they go. And some circumstances are very windy, very stormy that we face in our lives. There are circumstances that we come across or come across us or however you want to see it that, that are distracting and, and that, that are, are scary. They can be. And so the steadfast mind, though, isn't blown about by the winds of circumstance or, or blown about by the gusts of passion or shaped by accidents that happen in our life because there are things that happen. The Bible says time and chance happen to us all. 
You know, I'm not the kind of person, every time something goes my way, I think, oh, that must necessarily be because I did something right or if something goes poorly in my life, it's not necessarily because I did something wrong. Sometimes it's just time and circumstance that happens. Sometimes I'm probably in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes I'm in the right place at the right time. And then there's other times where, you know, you can look at it and clearly this was the blessing of God or clearly I'm supposed to learn something from this. But there are lots of times in my life where I know it's just time. I know it's just circumstance, just what it is. And so, but the steadfast mind isn't blown about by that. And then, you know, we don't, we don't lose our faith. We don't lose our hope because things didn't go our way today. You know, we don't lose our faith or lose our hope because so-and-so really likes us or whatever. And it might be important that so-and-so really likes you, but that doesn't mean that we throw away our faith and we allow our mind to be to be blown about by so-and-so liking me or thinking I'm cute or, or you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's the gusts of passion. Whatever that might be for you. I can't really answer that question. What makes you passionate like that? But uh, winds of circumstance, gusts of passion, shaped by accidents. Uh, There's a a good word picture given about this, talking about how uh, being faithful, uh, they give an example of of being at sea with, with a ship that is just being blown about by the winds. Sails are up. And the ship's just being blown about because no one's at the rudder. And that's kind of the, the picture of this, is when your mind is not steadfast, no one's at the rudder of your life. I mean, that, that whole idea of that steadfast mind, that faithfulness of us committing our lives to God, is that someone's at the rudder. Someone's actually steering the ship. It's not just being blown around in some weird fashion and going whatever direction this way or that way or whatever way the wind happens to be blowing. You never get anywhere like that. I don't know if you ever took any basic sailing lessons, but that ain't the way to do it. And I'm no expert sailor, okay? I do know that ain't the way to do it, though. That there needs to be someone at the rudder. There needs to be someone guiding the ship. There needs to be a chart. There needs to be a course. Needs to be someone that knows how to read the wind, somebody that knows how to see those sails full of the wind going where it should be going. That's how you sail. And so to get that picture in our mind, that's a picture of faithfulness, of steadfastness, of not just that fragmentary, jerky life that a lot of us have put up with for far too long. And, and I think you understand what I mean by fragmentary, jerky life and being blown about and, and, and ending up not where you want to be. Whatever. You know, because if no one's at the rudder and you end up where you don't want to be, yeah, that wasn't exactly by happenstance. That was more out of neglect. If no one's at the rudder and you're just blown wherever you're going, that's not just by chance. Alright? It's not. It's just by ignorance. And and I don't mean that to be insulting to anybody. All I'm saying is is just throwing it up in the air. Well, wherever I end up, I end up. That's ignorance. It just is. And I know it sounds appealing to some people, 
because I've known, you know, I, I remember the first round of hippies, and I've been through at least two iterations since, and I understand that free spirit kind of thought and everything, but the, the bottom line to that is, is that where that ends up is sometimes a really bad place. Yeah, I know. And so we, we give we get an opportunity that this idea of faithfulness faithfulness is an important concept within the economy of the kingdom of God. It really is. That I, I can think of no uh, trait that is much more important than being faithful. And I'll tell you, I'll give you, and I've told, I've told you this before. And this is the, the bottom line truth of my ministry. And I've done a lot as far as training leadership and people starting churches and pastoring churches and whatever else and, and all those kind of things. The one trait I look for in, in somebody that's going to be a leader that I'm going to train isn't nice hair. No. It's not. Uh, it isn't they can speak well. Uh, it's not that they're smart. That's for darn sure. It's not that they um, know the Bible inside and out. They're not necessarily the holiest of people. Um, they're not the most righteous of people. Um, no, no. I look for one thing, just about almost exclusively, and that is, are they faithful? And, and if you can find a faithful person, you can find somebody that God can use. Because he can overcome everything else. I mean, he, he can overcome anything, but he, I've seen him overcome all those other shortcomings. Even even bad hair. He overcomes that. And, and other things that are more important than that, of course. But I, I want to emphasize that, is that faithfulness is an important, it's an important commodity in the economy of the kingdom of God. And part of the reason that it's so uh, such an important piece in the in the economy of the kingdom of God is that it allows for a people to to remain steady when others are flipping out. It allows for a person to remain focused on God when other people are distracted. It allows for a person to remain engaged in the work and the vision that God has given them even when other stuff is falling apart around them. And to me, that's key for anything to get done in the kingdom. Because we have an adversary, we have an enemy. And if he can throw a little bit of uh, you know, confusion your way and you get distracted and you stop doing the work of the kingdom, you're going to get a lot more confusion. If he can throw a little bit of hard time your way and you get distracted and you just stop serving Jesus and you stop going about the work of the kingdom, well, you're going to get a lot more hardship coming your way. And that's just how it goes. And, and you know, I know that doesn't sound like a, a super technical spiritual principle, but it is, in my experience. If you prove yourself to be a person that when hard times come, you keep doing what you're doing, you keep serving like you're serving, you keep focused on what it is God has for you, why bother in the future? I don't, you don't see those kind of hard times, really. At least not to the extent you do if you're just tossed to and fro all the time. So, 
faithfulness, committing ourselves to the Lord. Remember, we're talking about peace, peace. And so those are two of the, the, the conditions in our life of ultimate peace. Committing ourselves to the Lord. In other words, our ways to His ways. And having that rock handle that we can grab a hold of when things just start to go to crap. And faithfulness in the sense of having a steadfast mind. That we have a good captain of the ship that's at the till. And we're moving with purpose and we're moving with power no matter what the circumstance. Last thing I've talked to you about that the verse I believe talks about is trusting God. Because peace, peace is a direct consequence of trust. It's a direct consequence of trust in our life. And that word trust uh, in this particular part of uh, this particular verse, that particular word that's used for trust literally means to lean upon. To lean upon. Kind of like that handle I was talking about. Yeah? On the rock that you grab the handle. Yeah, it's to lean upon that. It's the reliance upon that. You know, they give a word picture here of a weak, like a weak person that can barely stand up, but they have a staff, and they'll hold themselves up on that staff, and if they need to get somewhere, they'll use that staff to get wherever it is that they need to go. And that's the word picture of that reliance, that that trust is relying on that thing, holding on to that thing. That's the steady thing, all right? And so the consequence, the direct consequence of literally leaning on, relying on, finding a reliance in that rock, in that handle, perfect peace, peace, peace is the consequence of that kind of trust. That's what it is. And so it requires us, and this is a part that people don't like, so, you know, listen to this. It requires you to be conscious of your weakness. So, if you're the guy that's on the staff and you're holding yourself up by that staff, you've got to be aware of the fact that your feet are faltering. That you can't really, you're not really stepping so hot. That you, that you have weak feet and you have weak legs and, and you're going to have to rely on that, that staff. Um, and I, you know, I, I have a direct memory of this uh, I I'd gotten sick uh, 20 years ago. I was uh, in the hospital for a long time, and uh, three weeks or so. And I got out of the hospital, I was on home care, and that nurses would come in twice a day, and they'd have to feed me intravenously. And I'd just sit on the couch and watch uh, Black Sheep Squadron and stuff and uh, Jag. And so I just sit there and and you know get fed this stuff and. And uh, I was slowly just wasting away. Uh, I'd lost, in six weeks, I lost 70 pounds. And it's scrawny. Looked like I wasted away. My face was all sunken in and everything. And after a while, you know, after 
wasting away to nothing. The doctor's like, all right, now, now you need to uh, start moving. Cool. Uh, that's exciting, right? Yeah, except for I couldn't stand up. And my ankles were weak. And my feet were weak. And I had to rely on people to, to get around. And, you know, it, it, it's something that, you know, I grew up, I've been an athlete my whole life. I, you know, I'd run, jump, whatever. It wasn't a sport I didn't really like or I didn't, I did not like. I, I liked, I played everything and I was constantly active. And to not be able to stand up, I couldn't get in the car. I couldn't get out of the car. I couldn't get the doctor's appointments. I couldn't drive myself. And it's a it's a realization, and a really admitting that that that's where we're at. If that's where we're at, that's where I was at. And so it would be foolishness. It would have been foolishness for me to just just get up and just fall to the ground every time I got up. Because I, I know you know it's kind of popular in some movies where they just keep trying to get up, and every time they fall, they just keep getting up until finally they can get up. Well, yeah, no, no, I'm going to take, I, I need help, and I'm going to need help to go to the bathroom, I'm going to need help to get something to eat, I'm going to need help to get to the doctor, I'm going to need help to get into the car, I needed help to walk around the block the first time, and and slowly, yeah, I got stronger and stronger, but we got to come to a place in our heart, you know, kind of in our mind, our consciousness, that there's areas in our life that were weak. And to be aware of those things. And to know that we need the handle that's on the rock. To know that we need someone to lean on. We need to rely on. And and that one is Jesus, ultimately. And He's got helpers He sends our way. And there's people that come into our life and, and they extend a hand. And they, it's like... It's like God extending His hand through them to help us, and that's that's awesome and that's good. But ultimately, it's going to be Jesus that we are aware that our feet are faltering. It's also that we need to be aware that the road is sometimes rough. Because it is. Especially around here. If you drive around here, the roads are rough. With potholes. Some are rougher than others. But just be aware of it. <clears throat> be aware that there's going to be those those times that we need help because the road is just too rough. And we're not going to be able to negotiate that thing by ourselves. And also be aware that we, we have relatively a, a smallness of strength. And, and this is an area where I think sometimes we tend to overestimate ourselves. Or we don't want to admit our weakness, but we don't really have that much strength. We want to believe we do, but we don't. And so to, to really think about those areas, to think about our faltering feet, to think about the roughness of the road that's in front of us, to really think about, in, in the big scheme of things, how small our strength is, all of those things remind us that we need to lean on Jesus or we need to trust Him. And that's what He calls us to. 
He calls us to lean on Him. He calls us to rely on Him. He calls us to find ourselves in that position where we actually really understand we need Him. We need Him. And that form, and I'll use the word again, because that's what's in, you know that's what it used. I wanted to use it in this way to get a broader meaning of it, but it's in that place of trust. That place of trust is where we find that peace, peace. And so the condition that we need to find ourselves in. We need to find ourselves committing ourselves, our ways, our lives to the Lord. In other words, His will, His purpose, His plan, an external point of aim, recognizing He's the rock, He's the handle, He's what we need to be holding on to. Second thing is faithfulness and having a steadfastness of mind so that we're not being blown away and around by circumstances or by passions or by accidents or any of the rest of those kind of things, but that there's someone at the till, there's someone at the rudder. And it's from a place of trust they're really going to know what peace is. I was reading today, and I'm going to end it here, but I was reading today about Jesus in front of Pilate. And and uh, Pilate's asking Jesus questions. And Jesus is kind of answering the question. If you ever read that part of Scripture, you know what I'm talking about. He, he kind of answers the question. Because Pilate's like, are you a king? He's like, uh, did you say that, or did someone tell you to say that? I mean, it was like that. And so, Pilate's asking him a question, and Jesus kind of answers him, but doesn't. And, and then Pilate says, why aren't you answering my questions? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? I have the power of life and death over you? And Jesus' answer was great. He looked at Pilate and he said, you know, he's like, the only power you have is the power that my Father has given you. And that for His glory. And in that one statement, I hope you can see that Jesus had committed Himself to the Father, His will, His purpose, had an external point He was looking at, knew where He was going, He had a steadfast mind, was not being blown around by His circumstances and by the threats of this man, this Roman governor, and that he was leaning upon and relying upon his father. He had complete trust in him. Do you see that in that statement? Okay, that's living. That's L-I-V-I-N in peace. Okay? That's what that looks like. So think about that this week. Think about it. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that uh, you called us to live in peace. And you provided ultimate peace. I mean, nothing short of the ultimate of peace. 
for us. It's the best possible, best ever, biggest, grandest, loudest peace of all pieces ever. And that's what you want to give us. That's what you give us. I pray, God, we put ourselves in a position to live in it. And so tonight, I, I just ask that we commit ourselves to you, to your purpose, your plan, your will. We commit ourselves to, God, the vision that you've poured out for us. That we wouldn't just feel around in the dark for it, but that we would commit ourselves to you in such a way that we would be able to hear you and we'd be able to follow after what you have for us. I pray, I pray God, a governance in our life that only you can bring. And that we would relinquish whatever it is we think we're doing in order to take hold of what you're doing. God, I pray that we would be a faithful people tonight, steadfast of mind, not blown around by circumstance or passion or any of the rest of those kind of things. But God, I pray that we would live in such a way that you're at the rudder of our life and that we're just moving and we're going where it is you're going. That we wouldn't be fighting you for control. We wouldn't be fighting you to, to go our way. We wouldn't be fighting you to do our thing. We wouldn't be fighting you to 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 just go about things the way we want to go about them. But I pray, God, that we would rest and find peace that you're taking us where we need to go. For God, tonight we recognize our weakness. We recognize our faltering nature. And I just want to say thanks that we can lean on you. And that you're solid. And that you're more than enough to hold us and to see us through. And so, God, I pray we wouldn't be afraid of our weakness. We wouldn't be trying to hide it. We wouldn't be trying to cover it over, gloss it over, or anything else, or, or even trying to, to, to convince ourselves it's not there. But I pray, God, we find rest and ultimate peace in leaning on you tonight. Teach us to lean on you even more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Give you thanks and praise. As he sings in Jesus' name, let's greet by saying amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997, 
That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You're home, yeah. <laughs>